Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. We've been looking at the four nutriments and the four wrong ways. And this is part five, looking at the fourth unprofitable direction and how we understand that we are sustained by nutriment. So this fourth unprofitable direction is consciousness as nutriment and going the wrong way due to delusion. In these sessions, we usually start off by looking at the Ahara Sutta, Sangyutta Nikaya, Chapter 12, Discourse Number 11. And so we know that there are these four kinds of nutriment. So we've looked at the first three, which are physical nutriment, Kaplinkara, Hara, contact as nutriment, Pasa, Hara, and mental volition as nutriment, Mano, Sangchetana, Ahara. So today's is the fourth, which is consciousness as nutriment, Vinyana, Ahara. So what the sutta says is that these are the four kinds of nutriment for the maintenance of beings that have already come to be and for the assistance of those about to come to be. And then the Buddha goes on to say these four kinds of nutriment have what as their source, what as their origin, from what are they born and produced. And so Buddha confirms that it is craving is the source, origin, and we are born and produced from craving of these nutriments. So, as we said before, dependent origination, the Paticca the link that we're really looking at is tanha, craving. When we crave these nutriments, this is what sustains us in our present existence. It is also what gives us assistance to come to the next one. So you can see in the Paticca that craving leads to clinging. Clinging is the condition for existence, and then existence is the condition for birth, and therefore aging and death come to be, and then the whole mass of suffering over and over again. So really, when we're looking at these four nutriments, we're really looking to understand the samudaya. How is it that we come to be because of these nutriments? And so consciousness is, as a nutriment is actually a very important one. A lot of people try to understand uh, the whole predicament starting with consciousness as nutriment. But if you don't even understand coupling uh, karahara, the physical nutriment, then it's very hard to fully break through this final one. And a lot of the time you get it wrong. And what, what we will see from uh, meditating on this particular pathway, this insight pathway that the Buddha gives for consciousness as nutriment, we'll see that you can get stuck in coming back into more finer uh, existences because you have the wrong view. And so what's really important is most of us have to humble ourselves to say that, actually, I need to understand the physical nutriment first, then contact as nutriment, and then I can look at these other ones that, that then make a lot more sense because you see how the perversions work. So let's begin. If we look at our summary table of these four nutriments, today we're looking at this last fourth unprofitable direction, consciousness as nutriment. What we can see here is that we will go the wrong way through delusion and very much this is driven by ignorance. So a lot of the perversions that we've been looking at, they're all deeply embedded within this fourth unprofitable direction. This is where the whole uh, thing comes together. Because with this chart, it all actually works in tandem. You actually go downwards on this chart, but you also go across. And so after looking at consciousness as nutriment, in subsequent parts, we'll look at how this works. Now, 
In the first unprofitable direction, coupling kara hara, the physical nutriment, we go the wrong way through desire. It's mainly driven by sensual desire. This is what we've seen. When we keep going and contacting with form, we always go the wrong way. And it's usually because of this desire for sensual pleasures. The second one is contact as nutriment. We go the wrong way through, through hate because we're always trying to fix the situation. So we want to exist in a perfect scenario, but it doesn't, it keeps sliding. And so this existence always gets challenged. And so we always try to fix through feelings. Now, when it comes to the third one, which is manosanchetanahara, this mental volition is nutriment, we go the wrong way through fear. It's because we have this perversion that there is me and mine, but also there are a lot of strong views around that, the construction of it, that we are in control, that we can fix it. And it's not the case. And so we looked at that in our last session. So today we're bringing it together by looking at consciousness as nutriment. We've been studying all the way through this Puttamansa Sutta, and this is in Sanyutta Nikaya, chapter 12, discourse number 63. And in relation to consciousness as nutriment, the Buddha says, it is in such a way because that I say the nutriment consciousness should be seen. When the nutriment consciousness is fully understood, name and form is fully understood. When name and form is fully understood, I say, there is nothing further that a noble disciple needs to do. So from the Paticca Samuppada, the dependent origination, we've been studying a lot of meditations and even when we've looked at uh, these nutriments, we've been primarily looking at it from the lower half of the Paticca Samuppada. So from craving to clinging to existence to birth to aging and death, and that leads to the whole mass of suffering over and over again. So we've often said that it's easier to understand from the lower end of the dependent origination as opposed to the upper end. But since we've been studying all these various dhammas, we can now look with some level of understanding towards the upper end of the Paticca Samuppada. So in this instance, when we look at consciousness as nutriment, we see that it is the condition for name and form. The Buddha says that if bhikkhus, there is lust for consciousness as nutriment, if there is delight, if there is craving, Consciousness becomes established there and comes to growth. Wherever consciousness becomes established and comes to growth, there is a descent of name and form. Where there is a descent of name and form, there is the growth of volitional formations. Where there is the growth of volitional formations, there is the production of future renewed existence. Where there is production of future renewed existence, there is future birth, aging and death. Where there is future birth, aging and death, I say that is accompanied by sorrow, anguish and despair. So this is from the Atiraga Sutta in Sanyutta Nikaya chapter 12, discourse number 64. So this makes it much more explicit of the connection between consciousness and name and form. And what we need to understand throughout the four nutriments is that every time we allow consciousness to steady somewhere, so steady on form, steady on feelings, steady on uh, perception, steady on volitional formations, then it gives it the opportunity for this Paticca Samuppada, dependent origination, to kick off. Because when it does so, it is the condition for name and form. And so essentially, this is again what it is confirming.
The question then that is often asked is, what is name and form? So there's a number of suttas that the Buddha goes through this, but one in particular is this Vibhanga Sutta in Sangyutta Nikaya, chapter 12, discourse number 2. The Buddha says, and what bhikkhus is name and form? Feeling, perception, volition, contact, ideation, this is called name. The four great elements and the form derived from the four great elements, this is called form. Thus, this name and this form are together called name and form. So, how we understand Nama Rupa, so name and form, Nama is feeling, which is Vedana, perception, which is Sanya, volition, which is Chetana, contact, which is Pasa, and ideation, which is Manasikara. This could also be thinking over, working the mind, mental activity, mental examination. So that's, those five components are called name, nama. And so when it comes to form, which we can easily understand, it's the four great elements and the form derived from the four great elements. So what are the four great elements? It's the element of air, uh, earth, water, and fire. And so together, they're name and form. So when you think about consciousness establishing and then being the condition for name and form, it's the condition for us. So you look at us, we're made up of the four great elements, earth, fire, wind, and water. And we also have feeling, perception, volition, contact, and mental, uh, mental examination. So that is how we come to be. And so we have been conditioned by the activation of the Paticca Samapada, which starts with ignorance, leads to volitional formations, which in turn leads to this consciousness, and therefore name and form. To understand this a little better, we have a question that King Melinda asks of Nagasena in the questions of King Melinda in the minor discourses. And the king asks, you were just talking just now of name and form. What does name mean in that expression and what form? And the reply is, whatever is gross therein, that is form. Whatever is subtle, mental, that is name. Then the king asks, why is that, Nagasena? That name is not reborn separately or formed separately. And so Nagasena says, these conditions, great king, are connected one with the other and spring into being together. And so the king asks for an illustration and Nagasena says, as a hen, great king, would not get a yoke or an eggshell separately, but both would arise in one, they two being intimately dependent one on the other. Just so, if they were no name, there would be no form. What is meant by name in that expression, being intimately dependent on what is meant by form, they spring up together. And this is, through time immemorial, their nature. So this is another way we can understand how they come together because sometimes people do ask that the same question as King Melinda, why does it not come separately? We can now deep dive into the inside pathway that shows us how we go the wrong way due to delusion through craving consciousness as nutriment. Let's begin by looking at the Pettikupadesa, so the Pitika disclosure and what it says. So again, in this instance, it says the fourth nutriment is the fourth perversion. One stated in the fourth perversion assumes the aggregates as me and mine. This is clinging to theory of me and mine. One stated in self theory assumes ties when diversifying. This is the body tie of insistence that this is the truth. Herein, the taint of ignorance is due to the body tie of insistence that this is the truth. When the taints come to abundance, they are called floods. 
In this case, the taint of ignorance is the flood of ignorance. When the floods have reached their intention and are accompanied by underlying tendencies, they are called darts, and they strike the mind and remain there. In this case, the flood of ignorance is the dart of delusion. Consciousness grouped by the dart is steadied on four ideas. In this case, when infected by the dart of delusion, consciousness establishing is steadied on volitional formations. By means of this steadying point for consciousness, one goes the wrong way. It is owing to delusion that one goes the bad way through delusion. Let's now try and understand this insight pathway for consciousness as nutriment, leading to going the wrong way due to delusion by going through each of the steps in the insight pathway. So once you take consciousness as nutriment, what happens is there's this perversion that there is permanent in the unpermanent or impermanent. So this is anicca, nicca, vipalasa. So you think something lasts when it really doesn't. When that happens, clinging to this theory of me and mine arises. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you remember from the third unprofitable direction, one really takes strongly the wrong view that there is a self, that there is this me and mine. Now, when it comes to consciousness as nutriment, what has happened is out of conceit that you think that there is this self, you think that you're in control of all these conditions, that conceit and vanity, it kind of provides this bridge between Atta and Nietzsche, so the sense of self and the sense of something that lasts. So this is that theory of me and mine that arises at this point and you cling to it. So sometimes it's also called self-theory clinging. When that happens, one then gets bonded to ignorance. So the closest thing that we can understand to ignorance is all 12 perversions. So if you remember under all the perversions, under all these unprofitable directions, there is the perception, there is the thought, and then there is the view. So three under each. So when it comes to the first unprofitable direction, the perversion was that there was fair in the foul or the attractive in what is unattractive. So you get the perception, the thought and the view, and they're all in the wrong sense. And then when it comes to pasahara, contact as nutriment, you take the view that there is something that is pleasurable, not painful. And again, that's the perception, the thoughts and the view. And then when it came to the mental volition as nutriment, what we took as me and mine or, or self, when there's not really something that is me and mine and it's not self, then there is the perception, the thought and the view of that as well. And with this last uh, unprofitable direction, we think that there is something lasting in what is unlasting. There is again the perception, the thoughts and the view. So this is how we get bonded. We keep falling for these mental corruptions or perversions. When that takes place, we go to the body tie of insistence that this is truth. So it's exactly what this says. It's like we give it the stamp of approval about this wrong view that there is a self that we last or these constructions last. When we live with that falsity, we're taking it as me and mine and we keep insisting, like all these false narratives, all these corrupted views, we keep taking it as true. So all the perversions we think are true, but they're not. So when that happens, then that becomes the taint of ignorance. So this is the Vija Asava. 
So we have that post-perception of me and mine. So when that happens, it's very strongly linked to this body tie of insistence because it's the body tie of insistence, this Ilan Sachabinivesakai Gantha. That's the one that tells us, okay, we've stamped it. It is, it is true, there is a self. And so that's when it converts to this taint of ignorance. We get to the flood of ignorance when this happens more and more. And when you come to a state where you're just, you're just deceived and you can't see that what you've constructed is actually unlasting, that it is subject to, to death, really. And so we're, we're really deceived that what we see as, as lasting is really unlasting. And so we really need to focus on the fact that these things are subject to change. They're painful and then they're not to be taken as me and mine. So when that becomes to a state of almost it's unbearable, we get to the dart of delusion. And this dart of delusion, this mohasalla, is really again about poison. So the poison has fully embedded in our minds and we think that it is lasting, but really it is unlasting. So we are completely deluded at this point because there is no permanency, it keeps breaking, shattering. And in, that, in those moments where it actually shatters and the poison is still there, that we think it is lasting when it is unlasting, uh, we experience the equivalent of death actually. So although we don't die physically, but the pain that we go through is the equivalent of something in our minds having died. We didn't get what we wanted or it just shattered. The uh, volitional formations, these, these ideas that we have, these mental formations that we have, these constructions, they become the steadying point for consciousness passing on. So it's like the monkey that we were talking about before. The monkey that was swinging and holding on to form and then after that it let go of form and it's holding on to feeling. Then after that it lets go, it's holding on to perception. Well, now it's holding on to volitional formations, these sankharas, because these are the ones that are inputting all these ideas and things that tell us, you know, what is it, what is the deception that they take as truth. So when it comes to this, what we can really see is that connection between sankhara and vijnana in the paticca samuppada. So we're really seeing that link between volitional formations are the condition for consciousness and this is part of dependent origination. So when that all happens, we go the wrong way due to delusion. So what we see is it's really our past karma is why we suffer, that we created this body and we're continuing this delusion and this ignorance and we create more of it, not just the vipaka karma of it, but we create more of it. And so every consciousness that we create, it passes away. Everything that we construct, it disintegrates, it chatters, it dies. And so we have to continually reconstruct whatever it is from volitional formations to sustain the illusion that there is something fair, that there is something pleasurable, that there is something that is a self or me and mine, and that there is something that lasts. It is consciousness, which is the magician doing the magic trick that makes us think that there is something permanent when there really isn't. And it keeps swinging like that monkey in order to prove it, show it that it is true. And then we insist that it is true. 
but very much it isn't. Like when you really investigate in your meditation, you find that it is not true. So what is said about this wrong way due to delusion is that it contains all the other wrong ways. So it includes the wrong way due to desire, the wrong way due to hate, the wrong way due to fear, and it has its own uh, wrong ways as well. So if you remember Alara Kalama uh, during the time of the Buddha, he was able to get to higher jhana concentrations. And he thought that this was the final part, the final liberation. And so he assumed that after death, he'd be reborn in this uh, higher jhana state and that he wouldn't die. But unfortunately, the jhana concentration, it also has this delusion because it's still a construction. And so that's the thing when it comes to the higher practices that you need to make sure that you're not still deluded, that you're not steading in a place that is actually constructed. And so when you experience this going the wrong way due to delusion, what you see is that there is death. So death of volitional formations time and time again, death of consciousness. And you also see that there is lamentation, this Deva quality, because you're always crying out, why did this happen? How could this be? And you're always lamenting over things that are shattering. And we'll come to explaining that a little further through an example, even through the simile that the Buddha gives. And so what you really get is you never get what you want. You never get something that is lasting, that you can hold on to, and it always uh, shatters instead. And so these are the, the qualities of this consciousness as nutriment and going the wrong way due to delusion. There is death, there is lamentation, there is not getting what you want. A good way of trying to understand this Dhamma is looking at the simile given by the Buddha in the Puttamansa Sutta. So this is Sangyutta Nikaya, chapter 12, discourse number 63. So the Buddha says, And how because should the nutriment consciousness be seen? Suppose they were to arrest a bandit, a criminal, and bring him before the king, saying, Sire, this man is a bandit, a criminal. Impose on him whatever punishment you wish. The king says to them, Go, men, in the morning, strike this man with a hundred spears. And then in the morning, they strike him with a hundred spears. Then at noon, the king asks, Men, how's that man? And then they reply, Still alive, sire. And then the king says, then go at noon, strike him with a hundred spears. And so at noon, they strike him with a hundred spears. Then the, in the evening, the king asks, men, how's that man? And they say, still alive, sire. And then the king goes, then go, and in the evening, strike him with a hundred spears. In the evening, they strike him with a hundred spears. And then he asks, the Buddha asks, what do you think, bhikkhus? Would that man being struck with 300 spears experience pain and displeasure on that account? And then they reply, Venerable Sir, even if he were struck with one spear, he would experience pain and displeasure on that account, not to speak of 300 spears. So how can we understand this Dhamma through the simile that the Buddha has given us? It's actually quite a powerful uh, simile and one needs to spend some time actually contemplating and meditating on it uh, in your mind. So the way we can understand this is by looking at our daily lives and actually seeing how this happens, how, how we get struck with 300 spears and we are crying and lamenting 
throughout our day. So let's just take an example of an ordinary person and they wake up in the morning to the alarm. So the alarm is telling, telling them, you need to wake up. And so this is the first spear because when you hear the alarm, most people go, oh no, it's the alarm. I want to keep sleeping. I don't want to wake up. So that's the first spear. Then say you have duties in the morning. You have to put the laundry in. You have to prepare the meals for the family. If you have children, you have to help set things up uh, for their day if they go to school and all kinds of things. And so what you're met with are things that you really don't want to do. If we're really honest, there are many things that we do in our days that we don't really want to do. We do them because there are responsibilities. But when it hits our consciousness, it's really like a, oh, here we go again, I've got to do this. So usually people get up quite early to prepare things. So they, they get up to prepare all the things that are needed for other family members and maybe then themselves. And then when you go into the kitchen, you have to think, I have to prepare a meal. And so it's not something that is always pleasant. You think, oh, I've got to do this. And then when you open your cupboards, your fridge, if you're missing something, you get another spear when it's missing and you can't make what you think you want to make. Likewise, when your family members wake up and they moan and they groan in their own ways and they demand things from you, you actually get hit with more spears because what happens is you have to confront those things, you have to deal with them. What you would have preferred is things to go really smoothly, that people don't demand. You get to do these tasks more easily, but instead they come and bother you uh, because they can't find something, because they need something, or they don't want to eat what you've made. Something along those lines. Each and every one, when it collides like that and it doesn't go how you wanted, it's like a spear. And then you get ready for work. Maybe you haven't washed something that you, you thought you wanted to wear. Again, another spear. You leave the house and maybe you commute to work and you get squashed on the train. Someone steps on your foot. Again, another spear. Or maybe you miss the train and you've got to wait. Another spear. So by the time you get to work, you've already had many, many lashings of this spear and you feel, oh, this, this day cannot have started like this. And of course it's to varying degrees, but say you get to work then and the minute you walk in, your manager says to you, we've got something urgent, please come. So you don't even get to sit down in your seat properly to, uh, and you're called away. And so by the time you get back to your seat, you've had to deal with maybe another 20 spheres because that was a difficult experience, having to deal with something that was urgent, you're quite stressed and quite in demand and, and you, you don't feel settled. So then you sit at your desk and then your uh, colleague tells you some bad news, oh, someone in their uh, family passed away and that's another spear because as a construction, nobody wants to hear about death or even someone getting sick. So you get struck with another spear. Then it becomes lunchtime and then you realize, you forgot to bring the lunch that you packed. And then you think about the expense. Oh, I've got to go and buy something. So another spear, because you might be thinking, I've got to look after the bank account. I can't afford to be spending. That's why you made your lunch. So then after having bought lunch and spent the money and lamented over the fact that you forgot your lunch and 
had to buy lunch, you go through the rest of your day, it might be smooth or there might be more spears, something else happens. So then you have to rush back home, you might have something else that you need to do, maybe you have to pick up the kids or maybe you have to visit your, your parents. So say for example you go and visit your parents, you pop in with good intentions just to check on them and then you find that you get into an argument over something, you get into an argument about politics, so you get hit with another spear. You don't agree and so that's a number of spears that, that happen. But even during this pandemic, it could be that you want to go see your parents but you're not allowed to and so that's another spear. You want to go but you can't, you're not allowed. And so then it comes back to the household and you think, what am I going to cook? And you're faced with that again. You've worked all day, you've had various altercations or various little blemishes in your day that are like spears hitting you. You come to that and you think, oh, then you remember you forgot to go to the to the grocery store and you don't have what, what you saw was missing in the morning and then you go, oh, another spear. And so by the time your family members all get home, there are more and more spears. You can just imagine, you can just imagine what's happening. Maybe it's something as mundane as you're watching telly and they don't want to watch what you want to watch. And so there's some kind of discord, another spear. Or you're watching the news and you hear all this sad and sorry news or, or news that is inciting fear and polarization, you get hit with more spears. And so then when you're getting ready for bed, you know, it's like you felt like all day you've been struggling. Now, each and every day doesn't have to be something extreme. It's just a normal day. But if you really look at it, what is hitting us through this consciousness as nutriment are these these spears or these whips, we just feel like in, if you just pay attention to your mind throughout the day, it is lamenting. It's going, why? Why is this happening? Why can't this person agree? Why can't I just get my way? And this is exactly what it's like when the Buddha says that one is a thief and gets whipped with 300 spears three times a day or 100, you know, the every juncture. But you get the idea. What Buddha is saying is that the thief is someone who is ripening this kamma. So it is the kamma that creates this consciousness. And so this is how we understand that when we go through each day, it's a similar thing. Now, sometimes we get ideas that, oh, if we ordain, it's going to be better. But the ordained person also experiences this. So the way you can understand it for an ordained person is they have a day similar to ours. They wake up in the morning, they have to go for puja. Maybe they have to wake up to the alarm. Some people may not like it. Or they have to do their morning chore. Again, something may be missing from the uh, things that they need to do the chore. Or someone tells them off by saying, you didn't do that correctly. You should have done it this way. You should have swept the road this way. Why are you sweeping with so much noise? Why are you not more gentle? And then when it comes to breakfast, it may be that the dana that has been offered, you're the last of the line and there's nothing left or there's very little left or what you liked is not left on the offering table and you are left with things that maybe you don't like eating. And so again, the same thing happens. Maybe you have the work period and you're doing the work period and someone's being very bossy. Well, again, you get you feel like you're hit with a spear. Then when it comes to meditation, you sit and you find that the mind can't concentrate because you had this uh, collision with somebody. And so even the mind not concentrating 
it becomes another spear. Then when it comes to the, the meal, maybe the lay people don't give you enough respect, they don't bow, and you had this expectation that they bow to you, and then you feel slighted. And so that's another spear, rightly or wrongly, it's still a spear. And then when it comes to the afternoon, you have this time, you go for a walk, just for some exercise, do some walking meditation, and then you find that um, you, you slip and fall into a hole or something, or you, you hurt your ankle, something like that, something arises, and again, it's another sphere. And so by the, by the end of it, um, whatever it is, uh, to continue with that particular example, you find likewise, whether you are ordained or whether you're a lay person, it's all the same. It's all the same. And so this is Buddha's simile. It's such a powerful simile when you, when you take it like that. And you can really, when you start meditating on this and you come out of meditation and you go through your day, you can really pay attention to how much we lament. How much when things shatter that we lament. And so this simile is such a, a wonderful offering for us really from the Buddha. So there's this sutta called the Vijnana Sutta in Sangyutta Nikaya, chapter 12, discourse number 59. And I wanted to read this out because it really shows us the danger of consciousness and, and how we can become very, very bound to this whole mass of suffering. So the Buddha is at Savati and he says to the bhikkhus, Bhikkhus, when one dwells contemplating gratification in things that can fetter, there is descent of consciousness. With consciousness as condition, name and form comes to be. Such is the origin of this whole mass of suffering. Suppose, because there was a great tree and all its roots going downwards and across would send the sap upwards. Sustained by that sap, nourished by it, that great tree would stand for a very long time. So too, when one lives contemplating gratification in things that can fetter, there is descent of consciousness, such is the origin of the whole mass of suffering. So when we contemplate these four nutriments, and we are looking specifically at consciousness as nutriment today, what we're really seeing is that when we gratify ourselves with sensual desires, with things that we think are going to give us pleasure, that we come to exist, if we keep uh, clinging to this sense of me and mine, that there is a self, if we keep uh, perpetuating this deception that things are lasting, then of course what is going to happen is we're going to keep descending through volitional formations into a consciousness. So with consciousness, what happens is we keep fettering to so many things. We keep swinging like the monkey and we keep gratifying and joining everything up to deceive ourselves. And we keep insisting that it's true. This is the Michaditi in operation and the delusion. So the Buddha's simile of this great tree is that every time we keep doing this, we keep, through these fetters, we keep getting very rooted in samsara. And so when we have these wrong views, the fetters are there and we are, keep sustaining ourselves through the sap that goes up through this tree. And so we need to actually see that we keep doing this. This is the process which keeps binding us, similar to the tree with great roots, the great roots being the fetters and the wrong view and, and all the things that we use to gratify, to try and fix this predicament. 
So we don't want to do that. So the Buddha says, when bhikkhus, one dwells contemplating danger in things that can fetter, there is no descent of consciousness. With the cessation of consciousness comes the cessation of name and form and so on and so on, which leads to the cessation of this whole mass of suffering. Suppose because there was a great tree, then a man came along, would come along, bringing a shovel and a basket, he would cut down the tree at its foot, he would winnow the ashes in a strong wind, or let them be carried away by a swift current of river. <coughs> Thus that great tree would be cut off at the root, made like a stump, obliterated so that it is no more subject to future arising. So too, because when one dwells contemplating danger in things that can fetter, there is no descent or consciousness, such is the cessation of this whole mass of suffering. So with this last part to what we've read out, the Buddha is really saying that when we look at the danger, which is what we're doing here today and what we're doing when we look at these meditations that the Buddha has given us, when we see the danger in this particular instance of swinging with the volitional formations, allowing them, allowing consciousness to steady there after, you know, swinging from form to feeling to perception and now to volitional formations, then we are saying, we don't want to do this because it activates the paticca samuppada. It activates the dependent origination. And the danger is that if we don't see the truth, that there's a deception there, that it is a lie, then the death or the lamenting that we go through that is the equivalent to death is really what is the truth. So most of us can admit throughout our day we are lamenting. We call people to tell them how bad it is. We speak to our loved ones saying, oh, it was so bad today. I mean, this is the proof that we do actually genuinely know that there is a deception, that there is a lie there, that there's something that keeps shattering each and every moment of our day. And so when we know that there is a danger, then we know we need to see this Dhamma and we need to know what is the antidote for this Dhamma. And it always comes back to the Four Noble Truths and the path that we need to develop is always the Noble Eightfold Path and this Noble Living. So it's very important. We want to actually uproot these perversions. We want to uproot the craving. And we, of course, we want to uproot the fetters, which is also these taints. What's really important in understanding the Four Nutriments is very much the perversion that in the impermanent, we take it as permanent. When in the painful, we take it as pleasurable. In something that is not me and mine, we take it as me and mine. In something that is unattractive, we take it as attractive. So we take these four perversions at the level of perception, in our mind as thoughts and as views. So what Buddha says, and the words are very telling, the Buddha says, sentient beings are ruined by these wrong view that we're deranged out of our minds, yoked by Mara's yoke. These people find no sanctuary from the yoke. And so we continue to transmigrate with ongoing birth and death. So this is very powerful words from the Buddha. And part of understanding these four nutriments is really to overcome very much these perversions, because when we are still bound and stuck in these perversions, we have wrong view. And wrong view means that we will tread the wrong path and it will lead to birth and death and the whole mass of suffering over and over again. So these four nutriments, it's very important. 
And when you look at this consciousness as nutriment, it's taking all these four perversions in, in the three different ways. So that makes 12 perversions. And when that gets deeply embedded, that is really the poison. So very important Dhamma here. It's really important to learn this meditation well. So you begin with consciousness as nutriment and you go down through all the steps that lead to going the wrong way due to delusion. Now, it's good to use your own example. So you could use a specific example of something that you expect that actually shatters. So it could be things like relationship, particular issues. It could be things associated with this pandemic. It could be things associated with your job. It could also be associated with the things that we worry about in terms of finances, our kids, other people in our lives. But the really uh, good one to take is the one where we look at our everyday life, that we take an ordinary day and we examine it in our meditation from beginning in the morning all the way through until the evening. And we count how many spears are, being, are we being hit by and how much we lament over it when we experience the dukkha of it. And so this is what I would recommend as looking at particular examples to help us to learn this meditation. So this process of understanding the four nutriments is really around correcting the view. So if you go to Samaditi Sutta in Majjhimanakaya number 9, it says, with the arising of craving, there is the arising of nutriment. With the cessation of craving, there is the cessation of nutriment. The way leading to the cessation of nutriment is just this noble eightfold path. That is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. When a noble disciple has thus understood nutriment, the origin of nutriment, the cessation of nutriment, and the way leading to the cessation of nutriment, he entirely abandons the underlying tendency to greed. He abolishes the underlying tendency to aversion. He extirpates the underlying tendency to the view and conceit, I am. And by abandoning ignorance and arousing true knowledge, he here and now makes an end of suffering. In that way too, a noble disciple is one of right view, whose view is straight, who has unwavering confidence in the Dhamma and has arrived at true Dhamma. So this is our encouragement that when we really apply ourselves to understanding the four nutriments, we really make huge headway towards uh, dismantling craving for these nutriments and abolishing this pathway that keeps leading us to greed, hatred and delusion. Instead, we understand it is the Noble Eightfold Path that leads us away from that, leads us towards non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. And by way of this practice, we are actually removing the underlying tendencies, that which we have come into this world with, the, the wrong knowledge, the wrong ideas, the wrong practices. And so we are going against that stream and going towards the right one. So we begin leaning towards Nibbana, working towards Nibbana. And so that's very, very helpful. So that's our encouragement. A few tips for the meditation. So again, like with the other unprofitable directions, it's really important that you take some time to actually understand the process that we are being taken through, the insight pathway, because when we're able to meditate on these instructions, it's really the fastest way for us to understand and penetrate this Dhamma. 
So taking the time to slowly go through the steps, understand when you start with consciousness as nutriment, how we get to the wrong way due to delusion, that's a very wise investment. Now, when people say, how do we remember these things? Well, if we can remember the pin to our bank account, then we can take the time to memorize these steps and understand this process. Because for all intents and purposes, this Dhamma is far more precious than the bank account. So the bank account may be useful in this lifetime for limited time and it depletes. But this Dhamma, when you understand it, it saves you from the whole mass of suffering. It saves you, if you enter the stream, if you haven't already, it saves you from countless lifetimes where you experience what we experience as consciousness as nutriment. So that's something to remind you. And really, what you're hoping to understand is actually not just understanding the, per the perversion of permanent in the impermanent, which is the Anicca Nicca Vipalasa, but to understand all the perversions through this process. So everything that we've learned to this point, including the other three unprofitable directions, they all come together in this final nutriment. So take your own example from daily life. And in this particular instance, just take an ordinary day and really investigate how this really works. And then the main thing is that you start to see the links in the top part of dependent origination. So you can see that we build from when we swing uh, and misapprehend form. The monkey is swinging, holding on to form. When it let goes, lets go of form, it, it clings to the feeling. When it let goes, lets go of feeling, it clings to perception. And now we're clinging to volitional formations. We we grab onto it, and we're hoping to to make this whole thing hold together this predicament. So what you're really seeing is that these volitional formations, they're the ones that are constructing consciousness. That's where, where it tells consciousness where to actually steady upon. And it, it makes something appear lasting when it's really not. All it's doing is reconstructing like a magician doing a magic trick. And so when you understand consciousness comes to steady there, comes to exist, then you have name and form arise. And so that's the way of understanding name and form. But the point is with this meditation, it will take some time before all this is fully understood. You need to do the meditation and start to penetrate this Dhamma bit by bit. So it's an encouragement. This is not an easy Dhamma, but it is possible. Just, just start somewhere and really put some attention to it. We've now come to the end of explaining each of the four unprofitable directions. So as you can see, there's a lot of deep Dhamma here, but it's a very important investment. So if you have the time to learn some Dhamma, this particular table is very, very important. It's actually very helpful for cracking open a lot of the Buddha's teachings. And if you can memorize each of the if you can memorize the whole table, it's actually a, a very valuable thing. So in subsequent sessions, we may be able to go through this a little further, how the table actually works in tandem, but also it will help us to explain things like stream entry or why we keep insisting on certain things that are not true. So if you can make your way through learning this Dhamma on the four nutriments, it can be very, very helpful. So I'll leave the session here we can share the merit with all sentient beings. 
May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings have the doors to Nibbana remain open. Blessings of the Triple Gem, wishing you all well. Peruan Saranai.